God, we're just grateful uh, to be here uh, to worship together this morning. Um, just grateful, Lord, to even hear about opportunities that we can serve uh, people around the world, whether that's right here in Herndon through Young Lives, uh, the Herndon Festival, um, Lord, or whether that's across the world in, in Brazil. Lord, I just pray you would use this small congregation um, to do your will and to love our neighbors fiercely and to share the hope that's within us. Lord, we just want to pray for Evan right now as he opens up uh, the book of James, uh, your word to us, Lord. And God, I, I know he's prepared um, very hard this, this week, and uh, he's very uh, hopeful about what you will say to us by your spirit and through him um, as he preaches this morning. So just pray that he would lean into the spirit, that all of us would know that as we open your word, uh, that this is your words to us, and that this morning we get to sit under it and, and to receive. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Good morning, Grace Hill. Good morning. I just want you to know that uh, this has already been, I've already been told that this is an amazing sermon. There was, I will not shame the family so they don't feel like they have to uh, um, uh, take the same opinion, but one of the children was back there. I was talking, was really rehearsing my sermon a little bit, and this child goes, who are you talking to? I was like, well, kind of you. And he, I was like, hey, how's my sermon? He goes, it's good. So um, it's going to be good. Uh, Peter, I love that we, anyone who wants to go to the Amazon is going to get married afterwards. That's great. No, 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 no problems. If you have any issues and that doesn't happen, talk to Peter. That's great. We're in the book of James. If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull that out. We'll be in James chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1. Chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. So go ahead and hold your place in that spot. The book of James, as we've been walking through, if you've been with us for the past uh, two parts that we've done so far, the book of James is written to a bunch of people, Jewish Christians primarily, who are struggling. Uh, the Jerusalem was kind of the hub for Jewish Christians, and then sometime in 35 or sometime after the martyrdom of Stephen created an exodus of sorts for Jewish Christians, and they started to disperse all over the region, Samaria, Judea, all over. And this is where James is writing this letter to these Christians who are suffering, who have been displaced because of their faith, and they're going through difficult situations and I like to clarify that the book of James is really about dirty theology. Dirty theology. See, I think sometimes our faith should be seen or understood as kind of like a pair of shoes that our faith is meant to be lived in. And James, as any scholar would say, is so practical, so practical that he wants us to see that just like our shoes, our faith isn't fragile. And he's saying that in the midst of people who are going through unbearably hard things. But your shoes, just like your faith, are meant to be lived and worn out, no matter if they get dirty or scuffed up. Your faith is not fragile. God is not fragile. And in fact, he starts off right at the beginning, and he says, as the first part we went through, he says, consider it all joy, count it all joy, count it blessings when your shoes, your faith gets scuffed up, because God's at work there. Count it as a joy. Remember, who's he writing it to? People who are suffering. Then the second part we looked at was he said, in light of these struggles, ask God for help. 
And we saw that God gives wisdom, that God is a generous giver. So in the midst of our struggles and our trials and these people who are suffering and are persecuted, he's saying, listen, not only is God at work, but God wants to continue to help you. Ask him. He will give you his wisdom. He will give you that. Ask him. He's generous. And then we move to the text that we find ourselves in this morning in verse 9. And this morning, we're going to see three things from the section of text we'll be hanging out in. Trials to the beginning, wisdom and help from God, and then James is kind of hard to follow sometimes if you've read it. If you've read the book of Proverbs, you'll probably understand what I'm saying. It feels very disconnected at times. But in verses 9 through 18, what we're going to see is these three points today is that one is that grace levels the playing field for all believers. And you'll see what I mean in a second. The second point is obedience to God is worth it. And the last point that we'll see in our text this morning, as James is writing to people who are struggling, is that God gives good gifts. So would you pray with me to that? And God, I just pray this morning, those even three things as we wrestle through these next section of text that James lays out in his letter, Lord, I pray that those three things, God, you would encourage us this morning to be able to live in light of the difficulties that we all will face at some point, maybe some are even facing today. And God, that our trust in you would grow. Lord, it's such a thing that we say often But God, even as we've sung and and already this morning just been oriented to and, and Lord, that we we are pressed and and encouraged in, Lord, would we look to you not as just an intellectual exercise, but God, that we would also deeply believe that you're trustworthy and good no matter what is going on in our lives. So Lord, would you do that work this morning? These are your words, and so Father, I pray you would bless your words and any that are not from you. You would erase from memory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's read verses 9 through 18, and then we'll look at our first point this morning. James chapter 1, verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life with which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. said point one is grace levels the playing field. 
I think there's few things harder for us in this day and age that we live in, that grace fill us, that we live in, that are harder to fully grasp than this. We live in a time, and some of us have heard this ad nauseum, but we live in a time where hope and joy implicitly are typically found in our jobs, in our relationships, and in our bank accounts. Now, we don't say that. We're good Christians. We don't say it. I don't say that. But if I'm being honest, there's plenty of times if I did not have one or all of those things I just listed, I would be in a pretty down place. And it's understandable. I'm not trying to be overtly hard on us, but I think what James is writing to is really hard for us to grasp. Material blessings for you and me are everywhere. And I think the other thing that's really hard for, at least I'll speak for myself, that is fully hard to grasp is the idea that the poor might have any hope in this world. I look out and oftentimes I struggle to see if they don't have good prospects for a job, they don't have money in their bank account, they can't have the material blessings and comforts or needs met. And I think, boy, that's really hard for me to look at and say, wait, James, what, what do they have to boast in? But we have to remember, I have to remember too, that James is a pastor and he's giving suffering people counsel. Grace levels the playing field because James is saying, in Christ, eternity is ahead. Do we stop often in the midst of the world we live in? Do I stop often? This week was one of those moments to just stop and pause. In fact, we were even joking about it today a little bit before I came up. Do we stop and pause in the midst of our material-filled culture and ponder what is ahead for us in Christ? Do you? Do I? James does, so let's lean in. A little bit more and read those two verses again, three verses again with me. Nine through 11, they'll be on the screen behind me. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, at first glance, one of the questions that may pop up just studying what does the text say is, is who are these two people? Is the rich man and the, the poor man, are they, is one, the poor, a Christian, and the rich man not a Christian? Or are they both Christian scholars? There's disagreement here. I want to posit to you today, this morning, for us to think of them as both as believers. And I'll give you two just brief reasons why as we read this in context. One, it's his audience. He is writing to people, believers who are struggling. And there's no indication that James ever is seeking to say those who are rich or have material blessings are not Christians. He never says that. He has a lot to say about wealthy and what we do with that and the oppression that comes from people with that. But he never says the rich can't be Christians. That's number one. And number two, the reason I don't believe that this is a Christian and a non-Christian is that the word passing away that phrase used in, the, used in the New Testament, it's never used in the New Testament in relation to judgment. So his idea that like the flower of a grass, he will pass away, I don't believe is intending judgment. 
In fact, we see in Jesus says in Matthew 24 and 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's not referring to judgment with that word. So I think James gives us a picture of two believers. And that first one is of a lowly brother. And lowly, often in the scriptures, lowly is equated to poverty. We can see this over and over again. And here James is purposely pointing out to people who have been displaced from Jerusalem, who've left family, who have left jobs, who have no money, who have no pride who have no material blessings, he's saying, boast in your exaltation. What does it mean to boast in his or her exaltation? The word exaltation is very simply the place where Jesus is. Boast in your exaltation. You will be with Jesus. Again, I asked earlier, do we think ahead often? Do I think ahead often? The lowly brother, rejoice in your exaltation. You will be with Jesus. Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we are citizens of God's household, which implies that we are to be with God one day forever. And then we see in Revelation where he says, I will wipe every tear from your face when you are with me. Oh, that is James' point to the lowly brother. And it's the same point he makes to the rich. The rich man, on the other hand, must be careful not to view his or her standing as anything but grass that withers and is scorched by the sun's heat. Therefore, James is saying that cannot be, riches cannot be, social status cannot be the basis upon which you boast on anything. It will pass like that. But do we see it that way? That is the question. But grace, James says, levels the playing field. Both the rich and the poor are to boast in their exaltation that Christ has made them righteous. James moves us on into our second point. The second point is obedience is worth it. Look at me with, to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is hard, and this is why it sounds redundant. If you look at verse 4 already, James says the same thing again. Why does James bring that up again? Because going through trials is difficult. Is anybody going through a trial this morning? Anybody get a phone call? Anybody processing news? James knows that it's brutally difficult to endure. So he says it again. But this time, he says it in a little different perspective, a little, a little sleight of hand he uses. And he says, I believe, I think this is what James says, why do I need to obey? Why should I remain steadfast under trial? Because it's really hard. It's tempting to look to other things. It's tempting to look to a job. I need more money. I need those things. This is the world we live in, right? Why must I stay faithful and steadfast to God? And James says it again. Be steadfast, for you will be blessed by God if you remain steadfast under trial. Look, if you will, on the screen, Psalm 73, verse 13. So thankful for the scriptures that are honest about what's going on. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. It's hard to stay steadfast under trial. It's hard to trust God in the midst. It's hard to see sometimes that obedience to God is worth it. So James, again, presses home this blessing for those who remain steadfast. 
And he takes this different perspective, as I said. And he says, now remaining steadfast under trial points to a future blessing. Whereas in verse 4, he says, listen, steadfastness in verse 4 is going to produce perseverance and character and complete character that God wants for us so we live now. But here in verse 12, he's saying, listen, look, at no matter where you are in life, look ahead. If you remain steadfast under trial and endure, you will have the blessing, the crown of life, which is what? It's in the future. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, Paul says the very same thing as James here. People in the Greco-Roman world would have known that this laurel, that this crown of victory, this wreath, which seems a little odd to us, we don't use that that often, but this would be used as victors in athletic contests, which is just like we read in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, where he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. And then just like James is saying and pointing to, Paul says, but we, an imperishable. James is encouraging struggling Christians to endure that they would receive the reward that God has given to them, salvation and eternal life with God. This line of encouragement is seen in Jesus' words to other believers who are enduring suffering and great trials. Revelation 2.10. Jesus' words to a deeply struggling congregation. He says, I'll give you a little bit more of the context. The end is on the screen behind me. He, Jesus says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Obedience is worth it. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here's another reason that James states why obedience is worth it. He breaks down how sin comes about in us kind of gives us the anatomy of sin, if you will. God does not tempt us. It is our own desires, James says, that cause us to sin. What does that mean? God does not seduce us. There are essentially two questions I think we should ask of ourselves and one another in light of this as we think through what James is saying right here. This is really important. So if we slow down, these two questions, I believe, really, really will help us. And I think this is really what James is overarchingly aiming at. It says the first question is this, what do you want? What do you want? Talking about sin. What do you want? Now, he uses the word desire, and I put the definition of desire, the actual word in the, the Greek says desire equals to long for, lust, or craving. Now, that seems like it's a negative connotation. James certainly is using it in the negative here, but all over Scripture, there's desire can be good or it can be bad. It's disordered desires that James is saying begin to lead to sin. James says that by saying, what happens? Desire, as James puts it, is what is lured and enticed in every one of us. So that question, what do you want? What do you want? Then, 
in that place. We get lured and enticed. And it might be a good desire. Sex is not a bad desire. Sex outside of how God designed it, it's a bad desire. It's a disordered desire. It is a sin. Look what happens. We get lured and enticed in desires, whether they're good or bad. And then so sin, what happens after that is it starts to pervert. And sin gets at what we really want. And then we get enticed and lured. And like a fish goes to the bait, it finds a hook. Satan never tells us the full truth of what we're going for. What's an example for that? I have a desire for sex. I have a desire for something. Why is pornography absolutely rampant in the church and all over the world? It's a disordered desire. What do you really want? I want to be known. I want to be loved. I want pleasure. What is the thing? Is that bad? God made it. No, it's not bad. It is bad outside of. So we get the what happens. So this thing that I long for, all of a sudden, okay, I have a way to achieve it. Ah, but then the hook. Does it ever fully satisfy? Is it ever enough? Insert anything into this place. This is what James is getting at. Temptation also gets at to the question that James goes, who are you? That is our second question. Who are you? What do you want? And who are you? I'm gonna elaborate a little bit more on that. It was my freshman year in college. And I had gotten a full ride to play a sport, and things were going great. I was just, life was good. And uh, so I was also into music, so I was okay at soccer. I was playing soccer at a school and getting school paid for, and then I was also involved in music. It was starting to ramp up a bit, and I was like, hmm, I think I'd like to do music more for, for a living. And so I have a friend, I was playing in a band at the time, and, um, and listen, this is supposed to be a safe place, so just no pressure on you guys, but, um, so I wanted to, I wanted to be a rock star, I just felt like the world really needed another one, I was like, okay, you know, I'll do it, I'll do that, I'll do that for you guys, I'll, I'll take it, I'll take it on the chin for everybody. So as I was doing it, I was in a band, and I had a friend who had some connections in the music industry, and he was like, hey, there's a concert coming up, and he was like, hey, I got you tickets, and like, hey, we can give our demo to this people, because I know these people, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to make it, and everything's gravy. So I was like, dude, awesome. So the end of my first year, my freshman year of soccer season ends, and uh, my coach leaves, and we get a new coach. So this is months, months ahead this concert that was going to come, and it was in the spring, which is our off-season, and um, well, I can feel my heart racing already. It's just amazing how this works. It's like, oh, Evan, what a moron. And um, so uh, a new coach comes in, and he says, hey, we're going to do some fundraising for the program, and he sends out a date, and wouldn't you know it, it was the same date as this concert that was in another city far away, and you know, I was like, uh-oh. So here we go. What did I really want? I really, well, one, I wanted to go to the concert and I wanted to meet these people. What I really wanted, though, was this opportunity that I thought was so good, not bad entirely, but it was so good. Here was my chance. I really wanted this opportunity. It was what I really wanted. So I didn't have this language when I was 19, by the way. 
so you're welcome, anyone who's younger. Um, so this comes up, and I'm, I'm confronted with the challenge. What do I do here now? It's on the same date, and this is a really big deal. And so I did what I thought was right. I, I, uh, I concocted an elaborate lie, as any smart person would do, right? No. So I concoct this elaborate lie because I really wanted to go to this concert and to take this opportunity and meet and give this demo away. And so I shared that with my, my, my coach. I'm not getting all the juicy details. It was a good lie. It was really good. I'm not, gonna, I'm not lying here. Um, and so, uh, uh, so I go. And uh, so the whole team knows. I come back. And, you know, full scholarships, not many people have them. So this is kind of a big deal. So I was, I'm thinking everything's good. I come back, and my coach says, hey, I'd like to meet with you. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Uh-oh. So I'm going to his office, and uh, he, uh, he goes, hey, so you told me you were gone. And I was like, yeah. And he says, uh, so you went to this concert. I told him the specific concert, specific date. And uh, I told him another thing that was, anyway. And uh, he, he goes, so this date was when that concert was. And I was like, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then he slides a sheet of paper. So this is like 99, so the internet had just started, so you could print things off the internet. And so he slides the sheet of paper over to me. I'll never forget to sit on the desk. And like, I like look at it, and I was like, he probably was like checkmate. And I was like, oh, here's my last swing at this to hopefully get out. And I look, he shows me a date of the concert. That's the day after the date I gave him. <laughs> I slide it back. I was like, they played twice? <laughs> yeah. I was desperate, desperate. So lo and behold, I get caught in this lie, and the challenge was... What were the consequences? And so immediately he says, hey, you need to call your dad. He's going to make an example of me, first-year first coach. And I lose a quarter of my scholarship. And he says, I'd like for you to call your parents now. So in his office, so he does. You know what was interesting? The first thing I did when I called my dad, you know what my dad responded? He goes, that's not who I raised you to be. And I thought, oh, here it is. Who are you? Sin goes after what we want and goes after who we believe we are. Who did I believe I was at that point? I believed that I was the one that needed to be in control, that God possibly couldn't have something good for me ahead, that I had to do something to subvert all the things that would be good in light of, hey, you're a soccer player, you're on a scholarship, this is what you're supposed to be doing, right? All the things that I know, but I had to believe, oh, wait, no, God, you, you might be missing something, so I need to take control of this, and I, I have a better plan, so I'm going to work outside of your will rather than submitting to you as a good father, as your child. Who, who are you? Most expensive concert ever, you guys. But see, what James is pointing at here in this place, and this moves us to something that we all, I think, recognize as believers. Sin gives birth, and then it grows into death. So for me, that death wasn't entirely a spiritual one, right? Right? It was a death of a relationship. It was death of a lot of different things within my standing amongst the team, amongst my new coach. But you know what the Christian response to sin is? Is repentance. And so often what James is pointing at here too is we see is that faith and repentance mark our walk with Jesus. And sin is the thing that we repent of over and over and over again. And in faith, we see the thing that we go to our last point is that God actually gives good gifts. And just like sin has a birth story, 
Right? We see that sin, it gives birth, and once it's fully grown, it produces death. We see James move to the final point here where he says, just like sin has a birth story, so too does God's grace. Look at the last several verses. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is encouraging those who are suffering, and you and me today, who are going through difficulty, to believe that obedience to God is worth it because we have an eternity ahead and we have good gifts now. What does that look like? What are these good gifts? The first thing we see is that it comes down from the Father of light. So it goes to the question, who are we? We are God's children. God is our Father, and he is the one who gives good and perfect gifts. What are those gifts? We've been working through as a church our stories and our community groups over the past year with a church family together because we want to know the things about one another. We want to know who we are. We're not, some ways we also want to know what we want, what's going on in us, where have we been, where are we going, where are we headed? And the whole point of that is that everything in our lives to be viewed through the lens that James shows us, to be viewed through every good gift we have been given has been come from the Father of lights, God himself. So I would argue that some of these good and perfect gifts, the two greatest ones he gives us is he gave himself. He gave us his son, Jesus. That there is no greater gift to you and me that has come down from the Father of lights. And the lights in this text, it would be viewed as like the cosmos, the heavenly lights, which would be the very things that the Father, who is referred to as God here, spoke into existence. He's saying the Father of lights, the one who in the Greco-Roman period, they would look up and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they'd say, those things change, but you know, the one who made it never changes. That is the one who gives us good gifts. And the first and most important gift he had given was his son, Jesus. And I would say, and James would say too, there's no greater gift than to be loved and forgiven by God. None. Hebrews helps us to see clearly how much of a gift Jesus is to us, especially if you're suffering. And again, the audience of James writing to from besetting sin or going through a trial or a difficult news that you're enduring right now, James wants us to remember that God gives good gifts. And here are the pastor's words in Hebrews, which we've studied before. He says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you feel weak? Are you struggling? We live for the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to find help in our time of need. And the second of the good and perfect gifts that I believe God has given to us is he gave us one another. He 
He writes to people. He says, brothers, sisters, don't be deceived. So Grace, I just want to see two very simple closing thoughts from this text. We're to help each other name what it is we want. That's a scary thing, guys. If you look at my story, what would it have looked like for me to have a group of people that I could have trusted to share with them to say, hey guys, you know what I really want? I'm afraid God's not gonna give me what I really want. What would that have looked like for me in that context to then open up to people who know the Lord and know what his word would have to say and say, Ev, that desire is not all bad, but if it's, it seems like it's getting lured and enticed now in a way, this is gonna cause a lot of heartache. What would that have looked like to have a community of people to share what was really going on inside of me to say, this is what I want, guys, and, 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 and I just don't trust that. If, if I don't get that opportunity, I don't trust God. Hey, what would it look like for people to say, Ev, who are you? Are, are, are you a child of God or has God forsaken you and so much so that you need to go to a concert to give a demo that that is the thing that hinges upon, is God that small, bro? But not with shame to say, Ev, I know that's what you, I can tell that's what you really, but to also then help me to flee that temptation and to trust in the Father who gives every good and perfect gift. I did not believe that, friends, right? You watched it as I was sharing the story. Ugh, cringing, just like I was cringing. Like, oh, here I go again, another one. What did I want? Oh, I did it, but I didn't trust it. I got lorded and enticed by the thing I thought I really needed. Who was I? Ugh. And even my dad going, that's not who you are, Evan. Ugh. And so today I just offer it to us. What would that look like amongst brothers and sisters who struggle and all have desires? That's James' point. Every one of us has them. How do we help one another? Look to the author and protector of our faith, reminding one another of who we are. These indeed are good and great gifts from our Father above to be able to share what we want and who we are with each other as we trust in God. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, it is oftentimes just a struggle to Believe, Lord, in the midst of trials and temptations and, and, and being lured and enticed by so many things, God, it's so easy. At least it is for me, God, I know. I'm weak. And it's so easy to mistrust you or to think you've forgotten us or to view my circumstances as the reality of truth about you and me. And God, your word helps us to look above those things to help us process what we're going through and the feelings that we have in light of your truth, God, so that we might be steadfast and help one another in that very way to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in hope, God. And so, Lord, where we are struggling that in this, this room this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to lean into the good gift you've given us of, of not only knowing Jesus as our Savior, but then also, Lord, to know that we have a family that we are a part of to help us in this, not to be deceived, God. Lord, help us not to be deceived by the enticement and luring of our desires for where they would get disordered, but Lord, help us to share those with each other and grow in our confidence to ask for that help, God. That is a gift of grace that you have given us. And so, Lord, I'm so thankful for a community of 
people who take you serious, who take your grace seriously and live that out, God, to be a safe place to trust you and to grow in you and to have repentance and faith be a marking of our lives altogether. We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.